Well, thank you all for the warm welcome. It is good to be home. Again, it's an honor to be here. It's always an honor to be able to preach the Word of God. So we're extremely grateful to have this time with you this morning. But as you know, I use a lot of the Word of God because I don't believe my opinion or my thoughts are important unless they line up with the Word of God. And that's what we need to go by. And that's why I use so much Scripture. And you're going to find that out in a minute. The last time I spoke to you, I gave a message called The Image of God. And if you didn't hear it, or even if you did, I strongly encourage you to check out that message again. Because it's integral to the message I'm going to be giving today. Today's message is building upon that one. You could say that the image of God is foundational to the message I'm going to give today. And that message was all about Jesus. That he is the true, perfect image of God. And we looked at a number of scriptures. Because those scriptures are so important to this message, we're going to look at a few of them again today. Now, when I talk about reviews, it brought to mind... Years ago, Cindy and I belonged to this church, and we had a pastor who was a good speaker, and he gave some really good messages. One of the things he liked to do, though, was to have this series of messages. So he would get into a series of messages, and after like his second or third one, all of a sudden, he was spending more time reviewing his previous messages than... He was actually preaching. He had virtually no time to make any new points because he was reviewing. So you can imagine how long some of those series went. They were weeks and weeks. In light of that, I promise today's review will be short and sweet, but still very good. So the last time we spent a lot of time talking about Hebrews 1, chapters 1 and 3. And it says this, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the power of his word, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we talked about how through the Old Testament, God, of course, did speak to his people. But it was only in bits and pieces and over thousands of years. And that he was also speaking to very imperfect people with very limited knowledge about him. So they didn't always see him or understand him clearly as he would have liked. It was as if they were only serving and then revealing him as if a shadow, not in the reality of who God really was. But the main part of that first message was that now, 
Today, we have Jesus, who is the express image of God. The definition of image, as used in this verse, in the Strong's Greek Dictionary, it means essentially and absolutely the perfect and visible expression and representation of God. The literal translation of this verse, of this sentence, it says the representation of his substance. And we also looked at Colossians chapter 1.15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And there are many, many other scriptures which may say it in a different way, like Colossians 1.19, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell. But the end result is always the same. Jesus is the true image of God. He is God in the flesh, perfectly revealing God as he is. But also know that Jesus reveals man as we were originally created to be. Which leads us to today's message, which I very originally have called the image of God, part two. I have a great imagination. The purpose of today's message is to say that God has not left us without an image of himself today in our present world. And brothers and sisters, that image is you. Now you may want to protest against that or or choose not to believe it. But I hope to convince you today of that truth. And then, even more importantly, to show you exactly what that means for you. In other words, how that truth should impact us and our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. So let's begin at the beginning, shall we? in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and see what God himself is on record of saying about mankind, and so about you and me. Everyone, let's read these verses together, shall we? Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So three times in these two verses, we hear that we are created in God's own image. And we hear once that we are created in his likeness. Now let's continue in Genesis 5, verses 1 through 3. Everyone, please. This is a book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. 
So here it tells us again that we were made in God's likeness, but also that when Adam and Eve had a child, that child was in their own image and likeness. And here, as in Genesis 1, the exact same Hebrew words for image and likeness have been used, which tells us that just as Seth was in the image and likeness of Adam, so we are. In the same way, the image and likeness of God. And finally, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Now I don't know about you, but I read those first two lines of this verse, and I was a little confused. Now, this is after the flood. And God is here giving instruction and blessing to Noah. What is going on here with these first two lines? They almost seem to be a command from God, don't they? But that doesn't make any sense to me in the light of who God is as He has been revealed to us in Jesus, the perfect image of God. So after some consideration of this verse, I believe and now think it becomes rather obvious that this isn't a command from God, but rather some advice, some instruction on the very nature of man. That this is how man will naturally react to someone killing someone else. God is simply explaining to us how precious life is and that we should not be involved in the taking of life because there will be dire circumstances for us. But listen, God is also saying here that the reason life is so important is because of the last part of this verse, which tells us that we are made in the image of God. So now let's look at one verse from the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 7. Again, everyone, he is the image and glory of God. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is teaching on head coverings and the relationship between a husband and a wife. But all that is not really our concern today. What we need to notice is that Paul took what Genesis said very seriously about us being created in the image and likeness of God. And he even added the word glory to it. Here Paul is in fact describing mankind using the very same Greek word for image that he used to describe Jesus as the image of God in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, which we have already looked at. As well as this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Again, that word image used there is the same word that Paul used of us as being the image of God. To further emphasize this point, let's look at the definition of the word image in the Greek and the Hebrew languages. And this is according to Vine's Dictionary of Biblical Words. The Greek word is icon. 
and it involves the two ideas of representation and manifestation that we saw earlier in the Strong's definition. And so when referring to man, it is saying that he was created as a visible representation of God. The Hebrew word is salem, which means a statue, a copy. And it also means image in the sense of essential nature. A good example of which we just saw back in Genesis chapter 5, verse 3, where Adam begat a son in his own likeness after his image. Seth was of the essential nature of Adam, as we are of the essential nature of God. We are his image. In summary, we could say God created and placed humankind as living, visible symbols of himself on earth. As another sidebar, before we move on to our next point, I want to turn to Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, to what I believe is the second of the Ten Commandments given to Moses by God on Mount Sinai. It says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So why did God give this commandment? Well, of course, to prevent idolatry, which is any false worship, whether it's directed toward the one true God himself or to the foreign pagan gods. But listen, perhaps a greater reason is because we should not even try to make images of God because He has already done it. For we, you and I, are His images, His likeness. Nothing else is needed. We could never improve on what God Himself has created and then told us. So I believe the great danger in the making of an image of God is that we would then forget who we really are, our identity as the image and likeness of God. Well, perhaps you are not yet convinced of this fact of who you are. Perhaps you want more proof. Well, believe it or not, I have that proof for you this morning. And it's perhaps an even greater proof than what we have already talked about. And this proof is, in fact, foundational to our Christian faith and identity. This has already been brought up today. But let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, and begin to see this proof. Everyone, please read along with me. To them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Everyone, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Last scripture here, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Here we are clearly told, and I know we all believe this because it's the word of God, that Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, is now living in us. We are in him. We have put him on. So now, externally, internally, however you want to express it, the fact is that you are the image of God. It's a completely undeniable fact. Now again, you could choose not to believe it, but if you do, I believe you're going against the word of God. Now I do understand why we might find this hard to accept. I mean, I look at myself in the mirror, we all look at ourselves in the mirror, or perhaps we look back on some of the things we have done in the past. And maybe still do. Perhaps the not-so-nice way we sometimes have treated others. And then we say to ourselves, nope, not me. No way I'm the image of God. However, we need to keep in mind, we can't go by what we feel or see. We have to go by what God says about us. That's the truth. So let's go to his word and see what he does say. And again, everyone, Colossians chapter 3. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Romans chapter 8. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the what? To the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Lastly, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let's repeat that underlined part. Are being transformed into the same image. That is awesome. Scripture is very clear on this. Amen? So what have we learned so far? that we have been created in the image of God, and that as believers, we have the express image of God dwelling in us. And that even now, we are being transformed into that same image as we keep ourselves focused on Jesus. Now, we've spent a fair amount of time going over the facts in the Word of God, showing not only who you were created to be by God, but also who you are now. And it's all because of Jesus living in you. And because of that fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this. Again, everyone. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's you. New creation. Inside and out, top to bottom, you are new creation. You are the image of God. I hope you've been blessed and encouraged through this teaching. That you've received it personally. And will stand strong believing in your heart the truth that's been revealed to you this morning from the Word of God as to who you truly are. But there's one more part to this message. And it should also bless you. But even more, I believe it's going to challenge you. And that's okay. It's good for us to be challenged from time to time. It's so easy to take for granted, to get lazy or complacent with all the blessings we've been given. A good challenge might help us to wake up. Help us to remember that like Abraham, we are blessed to be a blessing. And so it is with being the image of God. It is a great blessing for us, no doubt, but it's definitely not just for our sake alone. The whole purpose of you and me being the image of God is so that others might come to see and know God as He is. So being the image of God is not only a fact for you and me, as we've already shown, it is not only an incredible blessing, but you could say it is also our calling. It is what we are called to do and be. N.T. Wright, perhaps my favorite author, who's a first century historian, biblical scholar, he's been called the greatest Christian apologist since C.S. Lewis. He perfectly describes our being the image of God. I love it. He says it's our vocation. The definition of vocation, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a summons or strong inclination to a particular state or course of action. Two, the work in which a person is employed. And three, vocation is a special function of an individual or a group. Now, I like all these definitions, but especially the last one. Our vocation as the image of God is indeed very special. And it needs to be done in the context of the body of Christ through the lives of us individually. So what does it exactly mean to be the image of God? How could we describe it? Better yet, how does the Bible describe our vocation? Once again, let's start at the very beginning. God tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The Hebrew word that's translated dominion in the King James and New King James Version, according to the Strong's Concordance, literally means to rule over. And that's the way it's translated in the complete Jewish Bible as well as the interlinear Bible. The Amplified Bibles says instead of dominion, have complete authority over. So God tells us that at least part of our vocation is to rule over. You could say to reign over all that God has made. Of course, this means ruling under God as his regent or co-ruler, which means we are to rule as God would, wisely and prudently and lovingly, taking care of God's good creation. As his images on the earth, we should be declaring that wherever we are, those areas are now under God's rule. And this aspect of our vocation is prevalent as well in the New Testament. Again, just a few scriptures to establish this fact from you from the Word of God. Romans chapter 5. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will what? Will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 20 verses 4 and 6 both talk about the saints reigning with Christ. And as we started all this at the beginning of the Bible, now we turn to the last chapter of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 22 verse 5, it is describing the fullness of God's kingdom finally manifesting itself upon the earth. And it says, there shall be no light there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they, God's servants or the saints, shall reign forever and ever. Finally, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, and chapter 5, verse 10, they both say that Jesus has made us kings to our God. So now the real question is, how do we reign as kings today in our lives? For it is who we are and is what we are called to do. Now most people have always thought of kings as someone who holds great power and authority, who might sit on thrones or a place of great honor, who are continually waited upon, and who give all the orders that in effect are meeting their own desires. But we know in God's kingdom, this has all been turned upside down. Now, while we as rulers with and under God do have power and authority, amen, it's a far different, even a far greater power and authority than that power and authority that we might first attribute to a king. So to answer that question of how we should live as kings, Let's look to our own king, 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords to see what being a king, to see what living as a king is all about. Because after all, we are called by Jesus to follow after Him. Amen? Just as we are all called to be His disciples. The word disciple, as you probably know, simply means a learner. One who follows after his teacher. Learning all his ways and putting those ways to practice. You could say, living by them. When I think of Jesus, the image of God, our Emmanuel, God with us. When I think of Jesus, our God manifested in the flesh and how he lived his life upon this earth. I think first of all of our king as a humble servant. One who would sacrifice and suffer in so many ways for you and me. Let's take a moment to look at just a few examples and teachings of his humility. Remembering he is the one we are to be following and learning from. In Matthew chapter 20, two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, Jesus named them the sons of thunder, they came and asked Jesus for positions of great authority in his kingdom. Let's listen as Jesus responds to their request by teaching about the amazing difference from those who have power and authority within the kingdoms of this world and those of us who are called to be kings with an even greater power and authority within the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 20, verses 24 and 28. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Indeed, Jesus' way is a totally different way of being a king. And yet this is who Jesus himself is. This is what he had taught about himself earlier in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 11 and verse 29. Where he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle, meek, humble, lowly in heart, and you will find rest, relief, and ease, and refreshment, and recreation, and blessed quiet for your souls. That's from the Amplified Version. And this is who we need to be as well. Of course, Jesus not only taught this as a way of life for his followers, for those living in the kingdom of God, but he exemplified it. He lived it out in his own life as an example for us. In the very night that he was betrayed, the Apostle John tells us in his Gospel, chapter 13, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. It says, Jesus got up from supper, took off his garments, and taking a servant's towel, he fastened it around his waist. 
Then he poured water into the wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the servant's towel with which he was girded. Now pay close attention. For here is not only our king's example for us to follow, but his instructions to us on how to live as kings in the kingdom. Verses 12 through 17. So when he had finished washing their feet and had put on his garments and had sat down again, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher, master, and the Lord, and you are right in doing so, for that is what I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought. In other words, it is your duty, you are under obligation, you owe it to wash one another's feet. That also comes from the Amplified Version. We continue in verse 15. For I have given you this as an example, that you should do in your turn what I have done to you. I assure you most solemnly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master. And no one who is sent is superior to the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed and happy and to be envied are you if you practice them, if you act accordingly and really do them. Again, pretty clear words for us to follow, if indeed we have ears to hear. But of course, Jesus' greatest example came less than a day later. So think now for a moment of our king on that Roman cross. And remember that at any moment, he could have called on 12 legions of angels to save him from all this suffering. Remember him hanging naked on a cross. Remember him praying for forgiveness for those who crucified him and enduring the mockery of those he came to save. Remember his humility and his love in all this that are way beyond any possible description. The Apostle Peter puts it this way, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus was completely focused on others, both on you and me, and on his Father and his Father's will. Remember that our king's original throne was the cross. And think of everything that he accomplished there and through his resurrection. Our redemption. Our reconciliation. The forever forgiveness of sins. The defeat. The destruction of the enemy. The list goes on and on and on. I'm sure pastors Mark and Valerie could give a series of messages on all Christ accomplished, and it could easily go on for weeks and weeks. Pastor Mark could do that all on his own. Right? He could go on weeks and weeks on one point. Because <laughs> he's so full of the Word of God. But the point I want you to understand and remember is the answer to the question. How did Jesus accomplish all this? Well, you know, it was through his sacrificial, self-giving love, through his humble service and obedience to the Father. 
That's the true power and authority. And it's how the power and authority of the kingdom of God manifests itself to this world. And it's how we should live as kings and as co-rulers with Jesus in this world. There's one final aspect of our vocation as the image of God that we need to talk about. God first revealed it to his people in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. And this is what he spoke to Moses. Everyone, please. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter also speaks in the same way of those of us that make up the body of Christ. In 1 Peter, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What an incredibly encouraging scripture. And I also mentioned these two verses earlier. But now I want to go there and let's read them together. Revelation 1.6 and 5.10 And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. And have made us kings and priests to our God. It is Jesus who indeed has made us to be priests. So there is the fullness of our vocation. Being kings and priests. Being a royal priesthood. We've already talked about what it means to be and to live as a king. What does it mean to be a priest? According to Vine's Dictionary of Biblical Words, the definition of priest is one who offers sacrifice and has the charge of things that pertain to sacrifice. So there's authority here for us as well in our vocation of being a priest. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 talks about sacrifice. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This priestly vocation, it ties in so well with our kingly responsibilities. It's living our lives in sacrifice to our God as a witness of Jesus for the sake of the world. You could also say that our priestly vocation is to lead worship of God, gathering up all the praises of creation and presenting them to its Creator. We know that Jesus told us that we must worship the Father in spirit and truth. So in essence, we should be showing the whole world through our lives how to worship the one true God. And that happens in our praise and our thanksgiving to God. It happens in our lives of humility and in our love for God and also for all men. So now, let's review or perhaps state in a different way what it means to be fully created in God's image. 
to fulfill our vocation as kings and priests. What it means to be the royal priesthood. It means to reflect His glory into the world. It means to bring to bear His rule upon the earth. To rule wisely, acting as stewards over all God's good creation. It means to bring God's presence into the whole world by beginning and continuing the work of implementing the rule of Jesus wherever we go. After all, He is Lord and King. It means to live a life of pointing away from oneself and outward toward God in worship and in mission to the world. It means bearing His love and justice to the world. It means being salt and light to the world. It means doing what the Word of God says in 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, because He laid down His life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. It means for us walking in Jesus' command to love others. And that's everyone, as He has loved us. Now perhaps you're thinking that this vocation, this challenge, is too great for you and it's beyond your ability. Well, of course it is. And that's why you were not only created in God's image, but why you were given the Holy Spirit. This is why Christ is living in you, so that you can fulfill your vocation. Here is what should be a very encouraging scripture for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The Amplified says, it is never wasted or to no purpose. Your work in the Lord, your labor is never wasted or to no purpose. The interlinear Bible says it is not fruitless. Do you realize what this verse is saying? This means that anything you do for the Lord, any act of love, no matter how small, God will somehow, some way, in time, use it for His glory and the glory of His kingdom. Praise God, that's awesome. You are not insignificant. Though you may feel that way sometimes when you look around yourself and see what's going on in the world, you may feel that way because that's what the world wants you to believe. But you are not insignificant. And what you do matters. Your life has real and lasting meaning. Let me close by saying that in order to rule as God, and to honor Him in worship. It's absolutely critical that we know Him as He is, which is to know Jesus as the perfect, complete image of God. And that's what part one of this message was all about. And for us today, as the image of God, though perhaps we're rejected by the world, yet by living lives of holiness and hope, following in the footsteps of Jesus, 
by living our lives as humble and self-sacrificing servants, even though perhaps rejected by the world, yet by loving others as Christ loved us. All this is what it is to be a royal priesthood. Brothers and sisters, this is our calling. What we were created for, this is our vocation. All that we've talked about this morning. You being the image of God, our vocation, being a new creation, being in Christ, Christ living in us. This is not in theory, it's not a hypothesis. It is reality. It is a fact and truth. Our part is to believe it. Yield to it. Pray about it. Walk in it. And all the while, every moment, trusting the Holy Spirit to lead us, to enable us, and to manifest it in our lives. Would you all please stand as you are able? And I'd like you to lift your hands to the Lord as we read this final scripture today. And everyone, say it like you mean it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Amen. The Apostle Paul believed this. Will you? Will you trust God to fulfill your vocation as the royal priesthood, as the image of God? The world needs us, brothers and sisters. It needs you. God bless. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for revealing yourself through him perfectly and completely. And we thank you, Father, that you have created us in your image to be a blessing to the world. We thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit who we need so desperately to help us fulfill our vocation to help us serve, to help us love one another. Father, as we leave this place, we go out in thanksgiving and joy and praise to you for all that you are doing through us. May you be honored and glorified through it all, through our lives, through the Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus, we say, Amen. Amen.